You are listening to Inclusion Evolution, a bi-weekly podcast that brings you insightful and engaging conversations on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the legal profession, the technology space, the world of sports, and our everyday. Here are your hosts, Lisa Mueller and Michael Kasdan. Welcome back to Inclusion Evolution. I'm Lisa Mueller. And I'm Vivian Coco, filling in for Mike Kasdan. Well, Vivian, we're back in a new year and back with another episode. And today is a really special one. We have a very special guest with us, Robert Andrews, the Chief Inclusion and Diversity Officer at Muburn Ellis, LLP, an IP law firm with offices throughout the United Kingdom, as well as in Munich, Germany. And I'm so excited to have Robert here today and about this episode, because in my opinion, Muburn is one of the most forward-looking firms when it comes to many different issues, and one that's particularly near and dear to both of our hearts, which is inclusion and diversity. Well, Liz, I'm very excited too, but before we get to our conversation, let me tell you a little bit more about Robert. Robert is a UK chartered and European patent attorney. He has a master's in biochemistry from the University of Oxford and a master's in philosophy from the University of Cambridge, and also a PhD from Cambridge, which involved cellular and developmental biology research. Robert joined Milburn in 2006, and the majority of his work has been in the biopharma sector, especially with companies undertaking oncology drug discovery and development. He advises on all stages of a medicine's life cycle, from the initial discovery through clinical trials through regulatory approval. In addition to being Newborn's Chief Inclusion and Diversity Officer, he is also on the firm's management committee, which is great. In the wider IP field, he is a member of IP Inclusive Management, the governing body of IP Inclusive, the leading UK-wide body advocating for DEI in the IP sector. His incredible efforts involving inclusivity and diversity were recognized last year when he was named a World IP Review Diversity 2022 Champion. Yeah, and that's an extremely impressive background. So we're really happy to have you here, Robert. So welcome. Thanks, Lisa. It's, it's a real pleasure to be here. I mean, thank you so much for inviting me to join you um, and for that glowing introduction. I'll, I'll try to live up to it. Oh, we have no doubt that you will. And I thought maybe, Robert, the best place to start off is to just ask you about Muburn's um, diversity journey. And I know in early 2021, the firm started to work with an external consultant named Brooke Graham. So can you tell us a little bit about the timing of that decision in 2021 to work with Brooke Graham and the firm's inclusion and diversity journey to date? Yeah, surely, sir. So asking Brooke Graham to, to guide us in our early step was like definitely a, a key decision for us. Um, I think the path that led to that decision probably stretches back a fair few years, I think at least probably back to 2016. It's it around that time, I think a few factors like our increasing size and a turnover personnel sort of crystallized into realization that we, we needed to evolve our business culture and the way we managed ourselves if, if the firm was going to carry on being successful. So that realization kicked off what's become a rolling cycle of like growth and development throughout the firm. Um, 
And that started with the appointment of key partner-level business service managers um, like Sean Harvey, who's our amazing CFO, and Maria Hall, who's our fabulous head of MBD. So those appointments kind of catalyzed further evolution in our management structures and the systems. Um, and in the following few years, that meant that we uh, got to a point after the end of our second third-year business cycle in 2020, we had all the infrastructure in place we needed to really start thinking about what other strategic priorities we had as a firm. So one of those was developing and implementing an inclusion and diversity plan. Um, so we'd realized in the preceding couple of years that our approach up until that point, which was sort of avoiding scrupulously um, active discrimination, that actually fell short of where our people wanted us to be and where our clients wanted us to be. So to meet our own expectations of ourselves as a forward-looking firm, we knew that we had to do much, much better. So that was a really important realization for us, but it only got us so far. And so we quickly realized that we were, we were pretty much out of our depth when it came to developing an IND strategy. Um, we kind of looked around and there are lots of things that we could do, um, all of which seemed really worthy. Um, but it was, you know, it's impossible for us to know where we should start or how to prioritize. So we wanted to avoid that, you know, the wealth of choice there from freezing us into an activity. Um, or like poke at things in a piecemeal fashion. So we asked Graham to come in essentially and, and help us plot an initial direction. And happily for us, that turned out to be a, a great decision. How long of a process was that um, with Brooke Graham? How long do you recall did that that consulting kind of take place? Sort of, you, you mean in a sort of deciding to get them on board or that once they are with us, sort of uh, how long the process that was? Once they were with you. So we're still actually working with Graham on and off for, for bigger projects. Um, I think that initial sort of heavy hand-holding phase probably took the first year, 18 months. Um, and during that time, we did a lot of structural and process changes, which sort of laid the groundwork for us to, to do the, the more meaty stuff that we're getting stuck into these days. Uh, Robert, you are the firm's very first fifth inclusion and diversity officer and at the time you were put in that position the firm had been rethinking inclusivity and diversity from top to bottom right how did you figure out where to start and how were you able to engage the key stakeholders within your firm during this process yeah i mean that that's that's a really great question question vivian because i mean i think as i mentioned one of the really daunting things was just where where do you even start um so really great piece of advice from from brooke graham was why don't you ask the people who work with you and for you um and we did that so we um we put together a survey like a questionnaire um anonymous and circulate that to, to everybody that works with us and as you might imagine, that was quite a nerve-wracking experience for us, you know, holding holding the mirror up to yourself like that and asking people, you know, how it was for them to work with us. As you might imagine, some some of the feedback was was uncomfortable reading for us, um, perhaps not all unexpected, but I think we can say it was almost all really positive in the sense it really helped us understand the areas that we needed to focus on, um, the areas that. Uh, not only could benefit from us taking early steps, but also the ones that are really important to the people that that work for us. So, so that was that was a really helpful way of sort of figuring out what to do. And and alongside that, um, 
again, with, with Brooke Graham's help, we established uh, what we call our IND collaboration group. So that's a group of initially 12 people uh, drawn from all over the firm. So all of our offices, all the different job roles. And the aim there is to have you know, a diverse group of voices that can help us not only uh, form um, sort of ideas for ID, ID strategy, but also act as a sounding board. And again, you know, with with their inputs and the the results from the survey, that that really put us on uh, onto a good direction for our initial strategy. So I really applaud you, Robert, you and the firm, because you know to get that feedback, it, like you said, some of it was difficult, but you know it's a great place to start because you have to start with some information, some data, some you know starting point. So after you got started, what's your strategy been since that point for building DNI within the firm, and how were you able to translate all this um, good intent that you guys had into change? Yeah. So so again, that was an, another area, sort of the practical area where Brooke Graham were, were really really helpful. Um, so many of our initial changes were quite structural, I think, quite process based. Um, so. We did things. We we went through our recruitment process, for example. Um, looked at the way we were recruiting, uh, particularly new attorneys, and we did things like uh, implementing use of contextual data to screen applicants, uh, making sure we had consistently mixed sex interviewer teams, have unconscious bias training for our interviewers, and also blinding results from one round to another, so we didn't get sort of conformity bias going going through our our interviewing. Alongside that, we um, we implemented an inclusive leadership program for all of our um, partners and business service managers to try to kind of start that that education process, That's which is still great. Under, that is really it, great. Yeah, it's um, it was it was a lot of time commitment. You know, it's um, it was fifty partners and sixteen business service managers for pretty pretty much a year. So it was pretty pretty in depth. But that that was wow. really valuable. It was really really valuable. I think for um, signaling. Not only to those managers, but also to the firm that you know this was really something that we're taking seriously and that we we're going to invest time in. And then also they created n- not me, but the role, the role that I now sit in, the the chief IND officer role. And that's as you mentioned in your intro, Lisa. That's a management board role. And the idea there is to have a senior senior partner who's responsible for it, essentially um, for delivering the plan, make sure that the management board hears the IND voices, the IND concerns, and also make sure that you know it's it's on me to make sure it happens so get that real responsibility so they, they were sort of the the major structural changes and alongside that they were um, sort of developing the strategy itself so th- that came out of the survey and the collaboration group and to cut a long story short that the focus that came out of that was was going to be on inclusion essentially i think i think the the feedback could be grouped under the four loose headings i suppose a communication trust representation and support so with that in mind, we thought we'd focus on inclusion. And that made more sense for us, I think, logically as well, because um, you know, without inclusion, diversity can actually cause disruption rather exactly. than synergies. So so we wanted to sort of get our house in order from an inclusion point of view before we started really focusing on, on the diversity side. And so many times the inclusion is forgotten. You know, everyone focuses on the diversity, but the inclusion is so important because if you have all these diverse individuals, but they don't feel included, they're not going to stay very long in firms. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I, I think that part of that is a measurement point, which we might get to late, later in our discussion, because you know, it's very easy to measure how many people of different demographics you have in your in your firm, but harder to measure how inclusive you are. So, Robert, your firm has a global presence, and there are global differences when it comes to inclusion and diversity, right? 
For example, the car makers Mercedes Benz and BMW got into hot water after spotting LGBT rights across its social media accounts. So, what has the response of clients been to the firm's forward thinking approach to inclusion and diversity? And how have you included your clients in your inclusion and diversity efforts? Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point, Vivian. Um, it's true. We we definitely see differences in the way our clients perceive IND issues. Uh, I, I don't think that's a significant issue for us. I think as it, I imagine it is for big consumer brands like Mercedes and BMW, but it, but it's definitely something that we we encounter. Well, one end of the spectrum, um, like a number of our direct clients, um, particularly in UK, Europe, and the US, you know, they're actively pursuing IND agendas of their own. And they ask us to share details of our plans with them. And we found that those sorts of you know, shared shared values have been a really powerful way to connect with those clients, those sort of value issues. Almost unexpectedly, it's been it's been really positive for building those client relationships. And and that, you know, that's I think is a really positive point to take away for, for any firms that are thinking about whether they should do this or not. It's um you actually there's a real business benefit in, in that sense. But on the other end of the spectrum, we also have major clients in jurisdictions that I think generally hold more conservative values on some IND issues. I think a, a good example there would be, um, I suppose, LGBTQ rights in, in some of the Asian jurisdictions that we work in, such as Japan, Korea, Singapore. So in those cases, we've adopted an approach of, I suppose, respectfully engaging with those clients and sort of trying to find out what their views would be when you know, our policies might impact on how we work with them. So one recent example would be um, when we changed our email signature blocks recently um, to suggest that our people include their pronouns along with their names. I mean, we were wondering what what our clients might might think of that change. So we spoke to trusted contacts that we have in you know in each of those jurisdictions, just to talk to them, see what they thought about, about that change. And um, it, the results actually surprised us a little bit um, in that um, generally, contrary to what we, we might have thought is that that change of including pronouns was generally viewed in either a neutral or positive light, because many of them said to us, well, actually, um, it's very useful to have the pronouns as just a handle to indicate what gender the person is, because it's not always clear to people from those jurisdictions what the gender of the, the people send, sending the email is. So in a sense, that was really positive, because not only do were we empowered to make that change, but also we felt it's going to be a positive change for for those clients that we were worried, but it's going to be negative. So. So that, that's kind of what we're doing with, with our changes so far. So, Robert, you guys have been doing a lot of different things, and um, I'm sure you've encountered some challenges along the way. And one that comes to mind, you know, even in my own firm that we struggle with sometimes is maintaining momentum when it comes to inclusion and diversity. So talk to us about some of the challenges and how you have overcome them and how you guys have been able to maintain such great momentum. Gosh, talking about challenges, this could be could be a long answer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I suppose the the first and the main thing that comes to my mind is is time pressure. I think many of the things we've been talking about today, um, particularly on the inclusion side, they kind of require people to take more time to elevate. I think what can be quite a kind of the core transactional nature of teamwork. You know, I want you to do this thing for me. You've got to take time to elevate that into a more meaningful relationship. And although that brings longer-term benefits, you know, when people are under pressure from the time, it's often the first thing to go. 
so what have we done? What have we done to overcome that? Um, I, I can't really tell you because we're still we're still wrestling with that one. Um, but but part of the solution or part of the solution that, that we've hit upon is trying to harness people's sort of natural enthusiasm and expertise for, for aspects of IND and then let them take the lead for the firm on those points. Although that doesn't doesn't make time for them, it does mean that those people are more likely to find the time for themselves. And when they're doing the IND work, they're more likely to enjoy it. So that kind of helps maintain momentum in those areas. You know, alongside that, we, we're trying to kind of kill the idea that things like IND are extracurricular. You know, this idea mm-hmm. that it's like, it's nice yeah. to do if you've got some time, but if you're busy with client work, just drop it. So you know, part of that is, is the cultural change. So we're really trying to embed that particularly in the role of the leadership group, that the IND activity is part of what it means to be a leader in Mubinellis. It's not an extra, it's not a bolt-on. If you want to be a leader in Mubinellis, you've got to get into the IND. And we're still in the process of doing that, but we're trying to feed that into the kind of the criteria we use in our promotions. You know, when people go for partnership, we want IND considerations to be part of what we look at, you know, and have that through all of the leadership structures on, on both sides of the business. Yeah. And I think for law firms, those are, you know, difficult challenges. How do you integrate IND into, you know, the entire culture of the firm? And like you said, so, it, and I really like what you said about it not being an extracurricular activity, because I think a lot of people do perceive it that way. And um, so kudos to you guys for all that you're doing. And like you said, it's a work in progress. Um, but I wanted to switch gears a little bit and ask you about some of your specific policies and programs that the firm has instituted. One of these programs involves menopause, and I, that really struck me because there aren't a whole lot of law firms that have talked openly about menopause. And in fact, I never saw yes, not anyone with <laughs> exactly. And to me, it's a stigma, much like mental health. And traditionally, law firms don't want to talk about it. Um, so tell us a little bit about the discussions the firm had around this topic and, you know, what led to developing a program and being so open about it. And I know you have a menopause policy and even menopause champions at the firm. Yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, um, this menopause policy, the menopause group, it's a really good example of, of what I mentioned just previously, which is letting people who are really passionate and informed about, about topics take the lead. And we're lucky in that um, within the firm, there's people in our HR group and I think Maria Hall, our head of marketing, who I mentioned uh, um, earlier in, our, in the podcast, they're both really, really passionate about menopause and they've, they've really driven the topic. And fortunately for us and for them, they're also quite senior. So they kind of had, had extra clout, I suppose, to, to bring these things to light. And I, and I think their passion and interest combined with the general moves the firm was making towards being more open and more engaged in ID meant that they were able to to use their passion essentially to carry through into policy and, and really get the group off the ground. And they've been doing amazing things. I mean, um, you know, I think the last year, Maria actually spoke at an IP inclusive sector-wide uh, session on the menopause. And that was a really massive thing for her and a massive thing for us that, you know, to, that she can... Yeah, that she could lead lead that sort of discussion in in the sector as a whole. So yeah, I mean that 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 that's kind of in a nutshell the the menopause story. It's been a real success story. Yeah, and kudos for being so open to talk about it. And I'm I'm curious, did the openness about menopause and this menopause group lead to the formation of other groups within the firm, like an LGBT group or a young parents group or or things like that? Yeah, yeah, they did. So I mean, one of one of our I say our big push is, is trying to support the formation of, of these communities, we call them, because 
I think the menopause group was really the pioneer, but it really showed to us the power of having engaged, informed people, driving policy. You can really, you, you understand what people need and how to get it to them. So with that in mind, we're really trying to support other, other groups to form those communities. It's been an organic process, I think. Um, so the women's group started, I think, second after the menopause group. Again, a large group, driven people, some quite senior. And they've, again, done, done really good things, starting to have really good ideas, policies and ideas for things like mentorship and sponsorship, which we might discuss later, coming out of that. LGBT group as well, again, they formed after the women's group, but again, a real, uh, a real hotbed for ideas and forming lots of, lots of good things for the firm to pick up with. Robert, this is really amazing. And um, let's talk about a topic that me and Lisa discussed in the last podcast. Uh, the firm made a decision to be open about its gender pay gap and before being legally required to report those statistics. What led to that decision? Uh, can you share some of your gender pay gap statistics um, for employees and partners? What was the reaction in the industry? Yeah, so the gender pay gap figures. I mean, um, you're right. I think I think now we are legally required to because we've got over 250 employees. But but we started before we were legally obliged to, and the reason there was was just well, if we're gonna we're gonna talk the talk, we've got to walk the walk. You know, you can't. You can't hide from from uncomfortable truths, and uh, it's true. You know, you look at our, our data, which we go into in a minute, and you know it shows the gender pay gaps that you kind of expect, I suppose, that that the men earn more women than the women, or, or at least they they appear to. And and I think that's that's something that that we really need to dig into as a firm. In that, if we look at our employee figures. I can't remember exactly what the, the median pay gap is. I think in the most recent figures, the median pay gap is about 22%. And the median bonus gap is 27% for employees. So on the face of it, that, that seems like it's a, a really quite a large gap. So we've recently done some, some digging into that ourselves. And it's a, the story is, is more complex in that um, certainly in our employees, we employ a lot more women than men. And a lot of those female employees are actually in the lower pay quartiles. And that pulls the, the median down for the women. But then the question is, is, is that just because we employ more women? Or does that reflect some sort of bias against, against females when it comes to equivalent pay for equivalent work? We hope it's not that, but the, the data isn't clear. So if we look at the upper pay quartile, it's about 50-50 for men and women, which might suggest that, that it's, it's pretty fair. But if it were the case that women were being progressively excluded as they progressed up that ladder, then that again would be a problem. But it, it's not clear that that's the case because we do a lot of lateral hiring when it comes to uh, to employees in, in those particular areas. So it is a complex picture for employees and something that actually is on my desk to dig into with the head of the <laughs> women's group. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be interesting to figure out, like you said, the complexities of that and and how you move forward on it. But again, kudos for reporting that information before you are legally obligated to, to do so. And that leads me to ask you, Robert, you know, given all that you and the firm have done to build your IND program and the success you've had to date and all that you've learned and seen to this point, what do you think the future of IND at Mewburn looks like? 
Uh, this is a, that's another big question on my desk. I'm sitting down with our, our managing partner actually next week to, to, to talk just about this question. So I think building on the success of the community is, is definitely something that we want to carry on doing in, in the next couple of years because they've been a surprising and amazing source of ideas and energy. But I think when it comes to sort of new big things, mentorship and sponsorship is, is really high on my agenda. That's come through several different channels is that you know, junior people within the firm, both on the attorney and business services side, really crying out for more contact with senior leaders. At the moment, we have, um, I say, we call it mentorship. But it's very much the kind of transfer of attorney skills from more senior attorneys to junior attorneys. Le- less so that sort of, what can I say, the softer mentoring around career progression, um, particularly issues that might relate to you know, IND characteristics, be it male, female, LGBT plus. And there's also a gap, I think, in our provision between in contact between attorney side and the business services side. So this last year, we've run a pilot of a reverse mentoring scheme, um, which the aim of which was to bring junior and senior people together from both sides of the business. And we're, we're doing the digest of, of that information at the moment, that, that closed just in December. And in the future, I'd like to see more, more schemes like that, sort of tweak it a bit, see what works for us, um, but, but definitely getting, getting more sponsorship. And I think the, the second thing that I'm, I'm really keen on is to get a better handle on the metrics. Because while we're focusing on inclusivity, we haven't really got a way of measuring it yet. One of the projects we've still got running with, with uh, Brooke Graham is to try to get some sort of semi-quantitative handle on inclusivity. And again, that project's sort of halfway through. But the hope is in the next year or two, we'll actually have some sort of system that enables us to get, get some sort of numeric handle on inclusivity. So we'll really be able to get a feeling for the activities that we do that work and the ones that don't work so well. So Vivian, we're going to have to have him back on then to find out what they found out and uh, how that program works. Yes, yeah. We need to schedule another one just to talk about the results because I believe this is going to be great. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it was um, the early stages of that metrics project were, were quite dispiriting because, um, you know, Britt Graham handed us a big spreadsheet of, you know, can you give us the data you have in this field and this field and that field? And, you know, we dug in and the amount of data we have is it was just miserable it really was miserable you know and, and, and the early results from from program were well we can't we can't even tell how inclusive you are or not um yeah so hopefully that'll come up with some good suggestions for what we need to do to get better data part of that i think will probably be around regular data collection and surveys you know you maybe you've read about pulse surveys and yep. employee engagement surveys and and that's something that we're we're beginning to get to get active in from another angle actually but I think in the next year or two, that's going to be a big area of, of work for us to try to perfect that, get it right. Great. Well, as our podcast is coming to an end, Robert, uh, what advice would you have for attorneys and firms in general that are aspiring to become leaders and forward-looking when it comes to inclusion and diversity? Well, advice is a dangerous thing. Um, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I, th- I, I think, with with that caveat in place, I think my, my main advice would be, I think, I think to be brave and 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 to work together. I think we went, we had definitely had a period where we were doing a lot of the structural changes, where we just thought, you know, is this is this going to work? You know, can you know, like in- inclusion in particular is not something you can you can edict from the top down. It's got to come from the bottom up. So there's a lot of sort of feeling of we'll build it, but will they come? But they did. And like 
one of the really the most marked things for me in the last couple of years has been the the groundswell of support and enthusiasm from our people. They're just they're so pleased and happy that the firm's really tackling it in a serious way. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so, so 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 don't be scared. I think without my advice to firms and to individuals, um, yeah, find like-minded people. Now, information like this podcast, it's really great that people can can hear and listen to other people that are doing the same sort of work. I'm a member of IP Inclusive in the UK, and that's just a fantastic organization to be part of. I think particularly for people from smaller firms, because it's, you know, it's hard when you don't have, you know, if there's six or seven of you in the firm, it's it's really hard to be diverse, let <laughs> alone have a policy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so don't, don't, don't be lonely. Go and find people who think, think similar things to you and, and go and talk to them about how to make things better. It's really good. Well, I think that's some great advice. And Robert, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your insight and passion on inclusion and diversity. What you and Muburn are doing to move the needle on these issues is absolutely incredible and really an inspiration to all law firms. Thanks, Lisa. That, that, that's really kind. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to, uh, to talk about it a bit on the podcast. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Vivian and I will catch you next time on Inclusion Evolution. Thank you for listening to Inclusion Evolution. The views expressed during this podcast are solely those of the hosts and not of their respective law firms. Share your thoughts with us by emailing us at llmuller at casimerjones.com or mkasdan at wigan.com.